This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Tammy Bruce. I'm Juan Williams. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It'll take two seats to flip the Senate from Democratic to Republican control this fall. There are a handful of vulnerable Democratic senators and Republicans have been in fierce fights with each other to be their party's nominee. I think with the right candidates and the right message, we win. In Arizona, probably is going to determine who controls the, uh, the Senate. So do I feel pressure? Sure. But am I up to the challenge? Absolutely. I'm Dave Anthony. House Democrats are taking action this week on abortion rights and same-sex marriage, hoping to energize supporters in November. Democratic voters are hungry for their elected representatives to behave more like Republicans. And I'm Joe Concha. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. One of the next big primary election days is coming up in Arizona, and the Senate race there is heating up as Republicans think they can flip a seat currently held by Democrat Mark Kelly, the astronaut married to former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. Polling in the Republican race shows three main contenders, venture capitalist Blake Masters, solar company CEO and veteran Jim Lehman, and current Attorney General Mark Burnovich. In much of the polling, Burnovich is coming in third, but he told this podcast last week. At the end of the day, those undecided voters will appreciate that they'll ignore the millions of dollars that Blake and Peter Thiel are spending. They'll ignore what President Trump has or hasn't said about me because they'll realize when it comes to border security, you know, protecting our Arizona values, low taxes, low regulation, they care about those issues, then I'm going to be the person to vote for. In much of the polling, Jim Lehman is coming in second. The veteran and solar company CEO told Fox News anchor Dana Perino recently. General Masters, 34-year-old tech kid from California. You've got Bernadette, seven years, do nothing. The people of Arizona are very strong on this. What they're looking for this time, not endorsements from out of state, they are looking for a tough person, someone who's been in business, who's been a veteran. The man at the top of the polling is Blake Masters. He has the endorsement of former President Trump, and he told us how he plans to stay at the top of the polls until the primary August 2nd. Really just to to play to the buzzer. You know, we're not taking anything for granted. Blake Masters is a venture capitalist and Arizona Republican Senate candidate. I do see the polls. There's five or six out there that show me with a healthy and growing lead, but I am acting, campaigning, every day like I'm the underdog. So we're doing still more grassroots events, more media interviews. Uh, I'm making phone calls to supporters and potential donors. Um, We're just sprinting, you know, can't take anything for granted. Now, some of your critics and some of your rivals believe that if you are the nominee because of your views and because like Arizona's a purple state, that you may be too far either to the right or too out of touch with the moderates or the unaffiliated voters. And they say that, you know, Mark Kelly will stay the Democratic senator of Arizona. You don't seem like the kind of guy to run to the right and then campaign sort of in a different space once the primary is over. So what do you do with that? What do you say to that kind of criticism? You know, just watch, watch and see. I'm going to run the same bold campaign. I'm going to highlight how Biden has failed, how Mark Kelly has failed to show any independence from Biden. 
and I can articulate these correct and conservative policies and principles um, in ways that will attract and not alienate moderate voters in Arizona. You know, most people just want things to work. Most people just want $2 gas and to have a real border and to not have your kid get indoctrinated with some perverse gender ideology, you know, at the local public school. And I'm running on a bold, but I also think extremely common sense, conservative America first agenda. So look, you know, critics will snipe and let them, but Mark Kelly's going to try to say I'm too extreme. Actually, I think he's extreme. He's got a track record of voting for extreme left-wing policies, and they're, they're just failing the people of Arizona. Yeah, what is the main argument against Mark Kelly? Like, if you had to pick one Senate vote or one tangible thing he's done that you would point to as being, I guess, either the most concerning or the thing you would call out the most, what is it? We could zoom in on individual votes, and I'll give you three in a second, but the high-level principle is he's failed to show any independence. He said he would be independent, and actually he votes in lockstep with Chuck Schumer for the Biden open borders and inflation agenda. And so literally, if Mark Kelly had stood up against all this crazy Democrat spending, we wouldn't have, or at least we wouldn't have as bad of an inflation crisis. If Mark Kelly had stood up and demanded border security, he has tremendous leverage with Biden. He could say, you're not getting a a single appointee. You're not getting my vote for any funding. Mr. President, unless until we get some border security, well, Biden would have no choice but to finish the wall. So he's voting for open borders. He's voting for inflation. He's also voted, along with every other Senate Democrat except Manchin, to legalize abortion nationwide up until the moment of birth. He gave his voting card to Chuck Schumer. He's not independent and he's failing Arizonans. He he has been vocal, though, about the border, right? He, he did say oh, he did vocal. comment. Well, he did comment on Title 42. He did comment about Title 42, right? And then questioned whether or not that should really be lifted. He's pretending to be moderate. It's an act, though. You look at his voting record. He's voting in lockstep for the Biden agenda. One of your, I guess, bigger rivals, Jim Lehman, says the Border Patrol Union supports him. I saw that back and forth between you two in the debate, and you came back at him with, well, former President Trump has endorsed me. Um, We certainly know the former president was a border hawk. Did you talk to the Border Patrol Union? Like, why do you think they went with Lehman over you? You know, I don't know. They got to choose somebody. Yeah, I talked with them. I thought we had a fine conversation. They like Jim better. Hey, great. You know, I told Jim, congratulations. You got a union endorsement. That's cool. I got President Trump's endorsement. President Trump knows I'll be the best on the border. And we'll leave it at that. Let's talk about Peter Thiel. You are being backed by him. And for those who don't know, he's the co-founder of PayPal, big tech guy. He's a Trump supporter himself. And I guess he was an original Facebook investor. One of the, I guess, lines of criticism that I've read is that with Thiel's money, he's trying to influence a lot of Senate or congressional candidates and maybe even politicians in other offices. And I read that you said something like, hey, if you can get yourself a billionaire backer, then, you know, go get it. What do you say to the criticism that Teal is trying to, like, have some sort of political influence in this way? No, I said specifically, if you know any other America first billionaires, give them my cell phone number. Right. I want more people who agree with us to step into the fight and to help great candidates get elected. And right now we have like Peter Teal. I'd love to see more America first billionaires step up to the plate. Uh, and so I'm happy with his support. I'm, you know, grateful for it. What do I say to the criticism? Again, like I don't focus on the criticism. Most people who Google Peter Thiel understand he's a brilliant investor and technologist. He's also an America first patriot. He was there for President Trump in 2016. I think Thiel was Trump's biggest backer in business. 
in 2016, certainly the only one at that level in Silicon Valley. So yeah, look, that's all Jim Lehman has is to try to criticize my sources of funding, never mind the fact that in small dollars, I've outraised Jim by like 10 or 15x. Uh, so I let the critics blather. I don't focus on it. I'm running my race on this bold America first agenda. And that's why we're going to win. Talk to me about Trump's endorsement, because obviously it might help you to a certain point, right, um, with certain voters. But Arizona, as we've already discussed, is sort of that swing state, a purple state, whatever you want to call it. I mean, let's say you're talking to a moderate voter right now or an unaffiliated voter right now who's undecided. Like, what's your pitch to that person to say, like, yes, I have Trump's endorsement, but here's why you should still vote for me, even if you consider yourself more moderate or middle of the road? Well, most moderate and middle of the road people right now still realize how much better things were for them four years ago. Gas was two dollars. You had a real border. Right. Crime was under control. And so I meet independents and moderates every day. Look, some of whom voted for Joe Biden, but they'll say, Blake, yikes, please sorry, forgive us. <laughs> Bring back the mean tweets. We'll accept the mean tweets if it means two dollar gas and some border security. And so, yeah, there are some people who didn't like President Trump's style. But what matters is results. And his administration delivered results. You have also talked a lot about big tech on the campaign trail. Some have, I guess, sort of called out that, you know, you are close to big tech, you know, given Teal's close. Hey, let me interrupt you for a second. All these questions, I'm happy to chat with you, but all these questions are taking the, uh, the form of your critics say, your critics say. It sounds like these questions are like coming from the Jim Lehman campaign. I would prefer <laughs> if we have time to focus on a positive agenda, which is all I'm talking about on the campaign trail. Right. Like I said, critics will snipe at my ankles. Uh, that will get even more intense in the next two weeks as I build on my lead. But I just wanted to flag that because halfway through this interview, I'm feeling like you're pretty interested in just going through the bullet points of critics say, critics say. And, you know, we can do that. But well, it's also because most critics I'm are not saying that, which is why I'm in the lead. How about that? That's a that's a fine answer. But I'm also asking these questions because I'm curious about your response to what those critics say that this is what happens when a candidate is in the lead. The critics come out and start sniping and saying, well, what about this? And what about this? Some of those. I'm what about saying, I've this? I've made my questions. views super clear on big tech. So like, Blake, what's the plan to regulate big tech as opposed to Blake? Your critics are saying and then it's just Jim Lehman talking point. So, well, some have questioned how close you are to big tech. What are yeah, you understand this stuff? But so my, the rest of my question is, what are your concerns and what do you do as senator? Because there, we've we've seen I've covered them plenty of big tech hearings, but haven't seen necessarily any sort of, I guess, tangible action. We keep hearing about regulating big tech. What would you do as senator other than, you know, hold a hearing? What do you want to see? happen? Yeah, most senators, unfortunately, have no clue. I think, you know, we've got to repeal or heavily reform Section 230 makes no sense to give these giant companies uh, platform immunity when, in fact, they're not acting like neutral platforms. They're acting like publishers, disproportionately censoring content that's right of center from a conservative perspective. But I think Section 30 reform is actually just just the beginning. We need to regulate Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we ban the phone company from discriminating against people because of the political content of their views. So why on earth shouldn't we hold Facebook or Twitter to the same standard? Right. And then what I worry most about is censorship that shades into election interference. You know, I'm outspoken mm. in saying I don't think the 2020 election was free or fair in many respects. But one of the most egregious things that happened was big tech basically put its thumb on the scale, uh, working with mass media to give the election to Joe Biden. You know, they censored the Hunter Biden laptop story. 
uh, discrimination, um, censorship like that literally should be illegal. And then I think we got to watch Google. Google is the most threatening one in a way because they can operate in stealth if they're subtle enough. And I think we need an investigative software team. I know how to hire these people. I've done it dozens of times before. And uh, I'll convene that team. We got to embed a force uh, forcefully into Google, an investigative unit that's going to go and make sure that Google's not changing its search engine algorithms in the weeks before an election with the purpose or intent of, uh, of, of rigging it. It's really just that simple. If you don't do all those things, uh, then big tech is going to have a, a disproportionate and I think nefarious influence on literally the outcome of a U.S. presidential election. Um, final question for you. The GOP is pretty confident they're going to win back the House, but there are questions about whether or not they can gain control in the Senate. Do you feel like there's a lot of pressure on you? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Tremendous amount. It's only the future of the country that we're playing for, right? Um, I'm serious when I say that we have to win back control of the Senate. Like, I'm glad we're going to take back the House. That's fantastic. But we need the Senate, too. Otherwise, you know, Biden's going to get his appointees. Um, gosh, if we didn't take back the House and you imagine the Democrats controlling all three, House, Senate and the White House, it'd be game over for this country. I truly believe that. And we got a tough Senate map this year. We have some tough races, but I think with the right candidates and the right message, we win. And Arizona probably is going to determine who controls the, uh, the Senate. So do I feel pressure? Sure. But am I up to the challenge? Absolutely. And again, we're going to stay laser focused on the issues that matter, even if journalists try to bring up, oh, past writings and Blake, you said this. Nope. Guess what? We have an open border. Biden manufactured this crisis. Kelly is voting to perpetuate it. We have crazy double digit inflation. And in the schools, the left is trying to teach your kid to change their gender. I mean, this is just so insane. And again, with the right candidates running the right America first message, we win, they lose. Blake Masters, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks. Due to time restrictions, we had to edit this interview. Some of the conversation you did not hear was contentious, as I asked Blake Masters about statements he's made in the past. We'll provide the full discussion on the Fox News Rundown Extra this Saturday on foxnewspodcast.com. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. This is Joe Concha with your Fox News commentary coming up. 16 weeks from today. We'll be waking up to election results. My numbers tell me that this November is going to be a big Republican, a red wave. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik tells Fox. This is because the American people are suffering through crisis after crisis under unified one-party Democrat rule. They believe inflation is a big reason they'll win back control of Congress. GOP Senate Leader Mitch McConnell. In my home state, the average household now spends over $600 more, $600 more every month compared to the day President Biden took his oath of office. But gas prices have been coming down, and Democrats believe going on the offensive after the Supreme Court's abortion ruling could help their chances. Democratic voters are hungry for their elected representatives to behave more like Republicans. Jessica Tarlov is a Democratic strategist, head of research at Bustle Digital Group, and a Fox News contributor, co-host of The Five. 
for them to kind of throw caution to the wind and just get it done for them to be, it's described over and over and over again as we want a fighter. And they don't feel like Democrats do enough uh, to get our priorities across the finish line. Okay, now in the House, there will be votes this week. There's the same-sex marriage defense that there's a vote on trying Mm -hmm. to codify Roe v. Wade, the legal right, the federal legal right to abortion after the Supreme Court decision and also contraception. So is this just on the record? Because those things you talk about fight, they're seemingly DOA in the Senate, right? You can't get those things done in the Senate. No, that's the problem with these uh, uber thin majorities. Um, there are a few seats that I think is feasible that we do pick up, but you know we're not going to get to sixty. That's for sure. Um, so I think that Nancy Pelosi's uh, opinion of this and her, and her policy going forward is just to do what she can do, and then it's on Chuck Schumer to try to make as much of a game of this as possible. I don't think that we're going to be picking off that many votes. I think the defense of marriage um, is certainly more feasible than codifying Roe, especially if it has no restrictions. The American public is very clear that they support uh, abortion rights, but favor a 15 week ban limitation, except for cases of the health of the mother, rape, incest, et cetera. Since that Supreme Court decision, it seems that in polls, anyway, Democrats have made some ground, made up some ground in the whatever that is, generic congressional poll, right, for 2022? Polls are just a, a snapshot of a moment in time, right? And around this time, there is traditionally a tightening as you're moving closer to the midterms. We also know historically that having, you know, a three to four point advantage or, you know, two to four point um, can sometimes turn into a wave election um, for whichever party has that advantage. Um, So I think that the tightening of the race is something that's important to the narrative. If you think back to just a couple months ago, we would regularly see surveys that gave the GOP an eight, nine, 10 point advantage on the generic congressional ballot. And we were talking about a red tsunami, right? Well, you know, winning 50, 60 seats, something like that. Uh, That's no longer on the table anymore. The Fox power rankings um, had seven seats. It was the range was what, seven to 27 seats uh, in terms of what the GOP could pick up. Seven were, you know, firmly lean red. And then we had um, the rest were toss ups. And so, sorry, it was seven to 37. We had 30 toss ups. Um, And that all really comes down to what's going on kind of in the few weeks surrounding the election. We'll see where gas prices are. We'll see where inflation is. Um, We'll see if, you know, what the implications continue to be of the Roe v. Wade decision, et cetera. Yeah. Gas prices have come down more than 50 cents since the record Mm -hmm. high in June. I imagine that that plays out well for Democrats more than Republicans if the price keeps coming down, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that you know, five over five dollars a gallon was just a non-starter. It looks by mid-August that we should nationally be under four dollars a gallon. That's still obviously it was about two fifty. I think when Biden came into office, it's obviously too high. But I think people are also smart enough to know that we are talking about a global trend, and it's not just America that's suffering um, from these gas prices and uh, from the record high inflation. There's been a lot written that the president has focused on inflation, laser focus, as he said 
Fed trying to bring prices down. Yet he's also had pushback from progressives who are fearful that he's going to abandon his Build Back Better agenda to try to deal with climate initiatives and the things that they're pushing for on the left since they have a majority in Congress. I think that the president is just trying to do as much as possible and he'll do that whatever way that he can. He has people love to say that he's become, you know, a left wing nut. That's definitely not the case. I think that he's still um, pretty moderate and down the middle. It's just the times have also changed. You know, we're chatting right now uh, during you know mind blowing heat waves that are going across Europe. Um, things uh, as it comes to climate are very perilous. We get report after report out of the Pentagon about how this is one of the largest threats. We know the impact that they have on refugee crises um, and just our average communities. And so I think the president just doesn't care who it is or who the media says that he's satisfying. He just wants to get things done um, before he potentially loses control. His poll numbers are not good, as you know. The latest polls have him in the 30s or at 40 percent was the Fox News poll for approval. There was a New York Times poll that said almost two thirds of Democrats don't want him as the 2024 nominee. That is not an easy position for him and for Democrats in the White House, because that leads to whispers of, well, who else can we get? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's some history that's relevant to this and that there's seems to be discussion before the midterms about this with other presidents, including very popular ones like Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. I was reviewing headlines uh, that came out as they headed into the 94 and 2010 midterms, for instance, and people were having these same conversations. Um, I think they're very unhealthy. I think it's dangerous, especially when we do have the oldest president in American history, right? I think that he's uh, won that mantle at this point. Um, But people are going to, especially on the far left, uh, do these things. The rumor mongering will go on. Um, Will it be Kamala Harris if he does step down, et cetera? But the president has been very clear that he intends to run. um, And, you know, barring any major health crisis, he will be on the ticket in 2024. That could set up a Trump-Biden rematch. The former president says his successor... Even after years of political experience, has absolutely no clue how to be the president of the United States. Of course, he still insists he won the 2020 election. That false claim and the former president's conduct leading up to and during the Capitol riot are being investigated by a House committee with another public hearing tomorrow night. Trump also said at a rally last month, The only thing the radical Democrats can talk about is their fake, phony narrative on January 6th. Last week, in an Israeli TV interview, President Biden says he is not predicting he'll face Donald Trump again in 2024, but he would not be disappointed by it. I think that Trump is an appealing person to run against. First of all, he beat him already. And when you look at how bad his poll numbers are, which you just listed them out on an individualistic level, he still beats Donald Trump in a head to head matchup. It was the New York Times Siena poll from last week where he still won 44 to 41, I believe. Right. So that's a pretty decent margin. Um, The former president, I think, has been massively tarred by what's going on with the January 6th committee hearings. I'm not saying that people are going to show up in November and they're going to be January 6th voters, 
But it's very clear that he has what I believe to be an insurmountable amount of baggage now. And that, you know, anyone who Biden had managed to pick off from the Republican Party will not be going back if it's Donald Trump on the ticket. And this is also happening in parallel to the surge of Ron DeSantis, um, who is only growing in popularity. Um, and people have very uh, strong, strongly positive feelings about his electability on a national scale. Yet the former president, there's talk of him announcing his candidacy even before the midterms, like he's ready to go. And yeah. I, I know that people have 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 written him off with the one six hearings and all that he's too damaged. But he's been written off before and he's come through a lot of attempts by Democrats to try to take him out that haven't worked. A hundred percent. And after 2016, I don't like to say that Donald Trump isn't going to do anything. Um, yeah. he, he manages to surprise you at every turn. Uh, but I do think that announcing before the midterms is a very bad move for the health of the Republican Party. Uh, he obviously hurt them enormously in 2020 when after he lost the general election, he then went and campaigned and said that people in Georgia who had the runoffs uh, shouldn't turn out to vote because the election is rigged anyway. Um, it also just makes it harder for candidates, whether they're pro-Trump, Republican candidates, whether they're pro-Trump or not, having to answer questions about him is very tough. Um, and I think, frankly, the only person that the Donald Trump brand really works for is Donald Trump. I would expect that the reporting is accurate, that he will announce his candidacy, but I don't believe that the Republican Party will choose him as their nominee. Do you think him running in the fall would help Democrats take control of the Senate? You mean keep control of the Senate? Well, more than put it this way, add seats so it's no longer 50-50 and they don't have to count on a tie and worry about Joe Manchin siding with Republicans on certain issues. Yeah, I do think so. I I think that that he helps Democrats across the board. Um, Obviously, he helps some Republicans, though, again, I think the impact uh, is not as mighty as when he's actually just the candidate himself. Um, but it looks like John Fetterman is in really good position over Trump endorsed Dr. Oz. Um, Tim Ryan was up nine points over J.D. Vance in Ohio. It looks like Warnock, um, I'm knocking on wood uh, for where I sit, uh, will hopefully hold his seat against Herschel Walker. And I think a lot of this comes down to the maxim that candidates matter, right, that there are a lot of selections that are just no good and are not resonating. And we're going to see more split ticket voters like in Georgia. The phenomenon of the Warnock Kemp voter is beginning. Um, and I think that will continue to happen. And and the president is just too much of a wild card. I think that he can really hurt Republicans in certain places. And hopefully that's to our advantage. Jessica Tarlov, Democratic strategist, co-host of The Five, Fox News contributor. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Gianna Gelosi. If you're headed to the East Coast this summer, you're going to need a bigger boat. From Florida to Massachusetts, sharks have been making their presence known, closing beaches, stoking fear into vacationers, and leaving a trail of blood in their wake. Two attacks happened within a week of one another in New Smyrna Beach, Florida at the beginning of June. One attack by a six-foot shark was in waist-high water, the other on a surfer's foot. Then in Perry, Florida, a 17-year-old attacked by a nine-foot shark in June, and she had to have 
part of her leg amputated. In New York's Long Island, at least five shark attacks were reported in just two weeks' time. A surfer suffered a four-inch gash to his leg when he was bitten by what was believed to be a tiger shark at Smith Point Beach on Long Island. Two weeks prior, a lifeguard at the same beach was bit. An 11-foot great white shark was spotted in Chatham Harbor, Massachusetts. Scientists, though, are citing warming ocean temperatures and a resurgence of bunker fish for the shift in sightings. Experts say the increase in the number of sharks is actually a good thing. They say it's a sign that conservation efforts have been successful. Shark advocates, though, are calling for a rebrand in violent attacks trying to call them interactions. The U.S. recorded 47 unprovoked shark bites in 2021, according to the Florida Museum of Natural History's International Shark Attack File. That marks a 42 percent increase from 33 incidents reported in 2020. Maybe Jaws was social distancing in the height of the COVID pandemic. But regardless, experts at the shark attack file say you can reduce your risk of being a shark's afternoon snack by swimming in groups, being cautious around sandbars because that's a shark's favorite hangout. Avoid swimming at dawn or dusk and take off your jewelry because it could look like the tempting shiny scales of a fish. If you want to familiarize yourself with some of the tag sharks of the world, you can also download O-Search's Shark Tracker app and maybe just like the Spielberg Flicks tagline, you'll never go in the water again. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Joe Concha. What's on your mind? When National Public Radio was launched in 1971, part of its original mission was to speak with many voices, many dialects, which suggested that it would embrace the most important diversity of all, diversity of thought and speech. Unfortunately, NPR has failed in this mission to the point where it's difficult to distinguish NPR from, say, MSNBC. This begs two questions. Why does NPR still receive taxpayer funds from the government? And why did a country that absolutely hates government interference with the free press allocate money to a broadcast news outlet in the first place? Take what happened on Independence Day, for example. NPR has aired a reading of the Declaration of Independence every July 4th, going back 33 years. But this year, it ditched this tradition and instead explored Thomas Jefferson's relationship with Sally Hemings, Jefferson's slave, and the children born from that relationship. The reason for doing so was to examine Jefferson's line in the Declaration of Independence that said, all men are created equal. And what it means to today's America following the Supreme Court ruling of Roe versus Wade and its overturning in the Dobbs decision? Instead of celebrating America by honoring the Declaration of Independence as arguably the most important document in American history, NPR attacked its author and somehow tied it all into abortion, voting rights, and alleged suppression of minority voters. There are many other examples of outright bias by NPR, which is clearly a liberal outlet. It used to say when it first started that it was for instructional, educational, and cultural purposes, but it has clearly failed in its mission to speak with many voices, 
only one voice, and that's from the left. I'm Joe Concha. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.